Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back. The show must go on. You ever hear that showbiz slogan, Tommy? The show must go on? I have heard that. Yeah. I I feel it now. I live it. Because every week, no matter what, we have to deliver the goods. It's a fucking grind, man. But we get it done. That's right. We deliver the finest quality podcast entertainment week after week and this week is no exception joining us tonight on the show matt fox of shy halud and zombie apocalypse this is going to be exciting you know shy halud is one of the first hardcore bands i got into uh yeah same here they were the first band that i heard that i was like oh this is melodic i can kind of like this is equatable with like something that i can play in front of other people and they go oh that part sounds nice exactly i always like some melody and emotion in the music no matter what genre it is and shy halud has that hearts once nourished with hope and compassion was one of the first discs in the hardcore world that i had and it holds a special place in my heart and a lot of their music has that melodic tinge you know that really makes me feel something yeah, I actually, the reason I knew who Shai Halud was at first was because Vadim Tabor had a Shai Halud shirt, and I went and looked up the band. Yes, Vadim and Mike Shaw were two very big Shai Halud people. Yeah. Do you know where Shai Halud comes from? Dune. Yeah. I only know that because people told me. I've never read the book. I did not see the David Lynch movie. But if they're doing that new movie, I'll see that. Yeah, that's one of those movies uh, I, I really should have seen because I know a lot of people reference that movie, but it's like, I don't know. For some reason, I just I don't know if this is just me personally, but for some reason, I, I can't get into science fiction. Like science fiction movies, for some reason, just kind of lose me. A lot of them aren't good, but there are plenty that are. They're very hit or miss. And the Dune movie, I think it's kind of wacky. Because it's David Lynch. Like, I've seen clips of it, and it, it just looks kind of wacky. So that's why... And I don't like David Lynch. I know I'm going to create a lot of controversy with that statement, but uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I have seen, I think, three David Lynch movies. My biggest thing I know him from is he was a character on a show. He was 
I don't know how he was involved, like in terms of character wise, but he was on Louis C.K. show for a little while. He was like Louis, like somebody that worked for the studio, I think, that Louis would kind of meet with every once in a while. And I remember seeing him being like, yeah, who's that old dude with really good hair? And then I found out it's David Lynch. The one thing he has done that I do like, and around 2003, he created these wacky ringtones. Okay. And one of them is this robotic voice just saying over and over again, I like to kill deer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it handy right now, but I'm going to drop it in when I edit. I like to kill deer. I, I know that movie um, Blue Velvet, and the only reason I saw it be- was because it was referenced so many other times in other things. You know, like the Dennis Hopper character constantly has that um, mask that he puts on his face and inhales deeply with. I think he has like, uh, what's that? Like laughing gas. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah uh, I've seen that one. Uh, my brother-in-law turned me on to Eraserhead when I was a kid. I saw that, but I didn't, I don't think I watched the whole movie all the way through. It was too like weird. And like, I didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Uh, and I started that movie, uh, Mulholland drive and I never finished it. Yeah. It's, it's just not for me. I, I don't click with it and that's okay because there are plenty of other people out there who love it. And, Let's see. What's going on? Oh, Saturday. This past Saturday was Memorial Day weekend. Tommy, I got the first vaccine dose. Yes, you sent me pictures. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It was like a Javits Center in Manhattan, gigantic convention center. It was all empty, and you go in, and the military is there, and I went in and sat down and got the dose. And I, I didn't even feel the needle, you know? I was, I was like, is this whole thing a sham? You know, did I get a placebo dose? Like, what's going on? You know, all the paranoia kicked in. And then, later that night, my arm hurt so bad. Yeah. I was like, okay, I got a real dose. Did you get that too? I didn't get it with the first dose. I got it with this, the second dose I had. Um, I had a lot of pain, not only in the injection site, like right around my shoulder, yeah, uh, it went all the way down to pretty much my elbow. Uh, it was just like I couldn't lift my arm above like forty-five degrees without without really really bad pain. I woke up at like four in the morning and grabbed an ice pack and just held it there for half an hour. It was bad, and it was very emotional too, as many things are these days for me. I was in the <laughs> I was in the convention center and I got the dose and. I just got really sad because, like, I don't know, you know, just when this whole thing started, things were a lot different, and just thinking about, like, how everything has changed, and almost that this thing is coming to an end, you know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking about the beginning of Pandemic when I'm watching a 13-hour Final Fantasy VII gameplay movie, and just just trying to make it day-to-day and get through, and, and now it's like, it's almost over. Like, things are almost going back to normal, and I just got very emotional. And it didn't help that you they make you go sit in an observation area for 15 minutes. Yep. It's this big, giant area with all these seats, and I'm sitting there, and there's, a, like, a four-piece orchestral band to my left, and they start playing Bittersweet Symphony. <laughs> <laughs> what a surreal fucking... fucking songs. Yeah, what a surreal thing to happen. Yeah, so just imagine me sitting there, and, like, that's playing, and I'm like... 
I'm like, oh, like. <laughs> I think there's a cool story behind that song too. I think they got sued by the Rolling Stones for it. I don't think they make any money from that song. I think they have to pay yeah. royalties to the Rolling Stones. That band got really shafted because of that, and I think some other things. It's such a good song, though. It is a great song. I just, I, I vividly can remember the video. I was just going to say that it's one of the most classic videos of all time. Yeah, that's a really great, and that's a great one because uh, it's just that single dolly shot the whole time like that steady cam like backing up and you're just watching that guy th- go through you know midtown well i don't know where he is but like just tr- walking through uh crowded streets it's a that's a really really cool idea for it and it also for like those that type of era of videos it was something new and interesting and i'd never seen anything like it before and that's why you know 25 years later i can still remember it yeah and he's like bumping into people and shit it's funny and I came up with an idea for one of my bands. I was really high, of course. And I was like, <laughs> I never told anyone the idea, though. I wanted to do like a, like a happy version of that video. Okay. Like we're, we're walking down the sidewalk and like somewhat we pull out sparklers and light them. And then I run into a store and like run out with a cake that has candles on it that are lit and just like, you know, like a bunch of silly, happy stuff. It's actually kind of a stupid idea now that, now that I think about it. <laughs> that's what uh that's what some time and sobriety will do to you that's i was gonna say the things i thought of when i was under the influence or with other people that were and were like that's such a great idea and then like um like a week later you think of it you're like oh what a half-baked piece of shit that was i'm so fucking glad we didn't do anything with that what a dumb idea yeah i used to get high and record all these guitar riffs and I would go back and listen to them, and I was like, this is all garbage. Like, oh, this is all really bad. I sent you a whole thing. Remember, I sent you all my, my old digital four track? Yeah. That whole thing is just chock full of garbage. <laughs> it is just, it is the worst uh, converge ripoff, unbelievable. Like, it's just so terrible. So terrible. Can I confess something to you? You've never opened it. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how'd you know because I, I, I in my head I, as i was sending it to you i went he's never gonna fucking use this <laughs> i never even opened the package <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm gonna open it tonight just to take a look at it i think you sent it to me and then the band was done shortly after that and i haven't really played any music since so yeah it was pointless at that point i just thought it was like uh i used to really use it for if i had a an idea of something that I wanted to record, I was able to throw it on there really quick. And the problem was, is that like, I never really learned how to use it properly. So it was constantly just me playing along. I used it a lot for just practicing. Like, Oh, I'm going to play along to a click track. And I would just, and I'm like, I could have just bought a fucking $10 metronome and done the exact same thing. This is so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I remember one time Doug and uh, Mike from ecstatic vision were staying here. And Doug comes in and sees the package unopened. He's like, he's like, oh, you didn't open the package. I was like, I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm awful. It's June. We got that. Oh fuck yeah! As of today, it's June. So what? What's up with you? How are you? How are you? Are you okay? Let me ask you a better question. How are you? <laughs> no, Tommy. How are you? All right, I'll make it quick, and then I will circle back to you. I promise. And I no. <laughs> This is a nice continuance of the last episode. No, just everything's fine with me. It's still 
up and down every day. And the only story I really have is the vaccine shot thing. And then it rained the rest of the weekend, which was great. So I didn't feel shitty sitting inside. It was pouring like the whole weekend. So I just played games and watched Twitch and hung out by myself. And that was fine. And the vaccine is really the only other things that happened. So what's going on with you? Uh, nothing really. Same thing. It was, I mean, it was shitty here the whole time. Uh, despite it being shitty, I had a wedding on Sunday. Oh, yes. How'd that go? Terribly. (laughs) (laughs) Why? It was so cold. It was like, I don't want to try to, I don't want to exaggerate. So when I did get in the car, I looked at the temperature on the, in the car and I said, outside temp was 51 degrees. And that was at 745 at night. Ooh. Um, if it gives you any kind of indication how the wedding went, I left the wedding at 745 at night. Ooh. Yeah. I felt terrible, but, um, honestly it was it was outside it was tented um the first part of it though the ceremony there was no there was no tent for the audience so we just you know carried our umbrella um the problem was is that it was this absolutely beautiful farm but the problem was is that it was this absolutely beautiful farm emphasis on farm like it was like grass but like there was no like actual walkways anywhere. So yeah. my feet and my wife's feet were, were soaked within oh. like the first 20 minutes of us getting there. And you know, there was no sun out. Uh, it got windy at one point for about 45 minutes. Um, it was, let's just put it this way. It was an absolutely amazing, beautiful ceremony, wonderful people to spend time with, but, my boss came up to me at around six thirty, and she leaned over and she's like, "Okay, so what time are we leaving?" <laughs> I was like, "Are you?" And she goes, "I'm wearing sandals. My feet." I she goes, "I haven't been able to feel my feet in like twenty minutes. Like it's it's getting to the point where it's painful to be outside." And I'm like, Ooh. "Yeah." So I I wore a suit like a th- like a three piece suit. So I kept my vest on and I gave Kelly my jacket. Kelly had a shawl with her, like because she had you know like a regular like kind of summertime dress. But yeah. um, really smart. Kelly wore thick leggings because her dress was like floor length so you couldn't see them so she wore like wore really thick leggings under so she did really well like temperature wise except for her feet were freezing and it was like after a certain amount of time it's just like how much longer am i going to put up with this so we waited till the vast majority of people like especially a, a lot of the people that were invited were older um uh, like el- elderly relatives like people that were like 60 70 80 um so they started to leave around 6 30 uh, so I lasted till about seven thirty, seven forty-five. I remember we got in the car and it said seven forty-seven. So did you drink at all? Oh no, no, no. I drove, uh, and I drove my potential new car. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So. I've seen pictures of this, folks. Tell tell the people, Tommy, what you're thinking of getting. So it, it is a uh, Subaru Forester. Um, it's actually my stepdad's and he wants to buy a new car because he's tired of this one. Uh, it has really low miles on it. So I'm thinking of actually purchasing that one from him, uh, rather than going through buying a new car, uh, or used car at a car lot, because as I've been looking, car prices are just, they're high and rising. I constantly think about ways that I can save money. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is the equivalent of you like buying a car on eBay. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, it, this is a one to one transaction, and then that way I'm saving the sales tax and the tags and title and all that stuff that has to get done. I'm just not paying for it. Honestly, I'm I'm teasing, but if you like the car, it's a good way to go because dealerships are a scam, and I don't know. There's it's just so expensive, and you don't know what you're getting into, and all that stuff. Exactly, and I you know when people that's like the old common line with used cars is like, oh, she just drove it to church on Sunday into the supermarket, and it's like I know I literally know where this car was driven to. It was driven to uh, my mom's doctor's appointments and my house. That's it. <laughs> like that's that's where the, the extent of where this car has gone. We are going to be standing by to see if you purchase this car from your stepfather. But right now, we are going to talk to Matt Fox. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Matt Fox. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. And, you know, Tommy and I were talking in the first segment, and Shai Halud is one of the first hardcore bands that we both got into. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But first, let's get to know each other a little bit. Matt, we talked earlier when we were setting up, you said you live in Hynella, New Jersey, yes? That is correct. How long have you lived in the Northeast now? Oh, geez. Well, we moved, the, the band started out in South Florida, as uh, right. some, pe- yeah, some people know. Um, we moved to Poughkeepsie, New York in the year 2000. Uh, so, yeah, I've been up here quite some time now. So why did the band decide to move up to New York? Uh, it was just difficult for a small, fledgling, hardcore band to get noticed or get shows um, in Florida. I mean, we played locally, of course, and we got to a point where if bigger bands came down to Florida, we got to open for them. Right. But, you know, it would take it would take like six or seven hours, however long it took, just to get to Georgia, you know, and we wanted to be accessible everywhere. So we found a central place. We actually found a drummer that lived in Poughkeepsie and we moved there for him just so we could access Boston. We could play New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, you know, and it really saved our band. It was one of the best choices we ever made in a history of bad choices. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the Northeast is where it's at. You're close to Boston, you're close to D.C., Philly, New York City, and hence the name yep. of this podcast, The Northeast Scene. Nothing beats it. No, it was a, it was a great decision for us. Uh, it really, really helped kickstart the band um, into being more of a professional band in the early 2000s. That's excellent. So let's talk about your upbringing a little bit. Where in Florida did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in what's known as unincorporated Pompano. <laughs> Why is it called that? Uh, I don't know, but I always loved that. It wasn't Pompano <laughs> Beach. It wasn't Pompano Beach proper. It was unincorporated Pompano. I have no idea what that means, but I adopted it for Shai Halud, and I just like the fact that it's unincorporated. Right, because I've seen, yeah, your Instagram handle is Shai Halud Unincorporated. Correct, correct, yeah. Uh, I stole that from where I grew up in Unincorporated Pompano. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like growing up down there? Are you close to the beach? Is it, like, nice and warm all the time? Yeah, it was always, you know, as I recall it, quite warm. I had... uh, access to i was right near the beach 
So uh, the beaches were, you know, I I was never a big beach guy, but um, I started loving the beach about a week before I moved to Poughkeepsie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That makes uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, Florida, Florida is a lovely place. Um, And South Florida isn't the typical, uh, it's not known for being, you know, like the, what they say, the Florida man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, that's more North Florida. South Florida is, uh, I don't know. As I remember it, my friends in Florida will probably laugh at me for saying this, but it's kind of like a paradise. I I grew up there and uh, I really, really love it and miss it. Yeah. I've been to Tampa and I've been down in South Florida before. It it was really nice. I liked it. And I did, I was going to ask about the Florida man stuff and if you caught any (laughs) wind of that, but it sounds like that's like more of a North Florida thing. Yeah. Or South Florida is more like, you know, because you always hear about a bunch of New Yorkers moving to South Florida. So, yeah, I always think of uh, Florida was always like the more the more northern you go in Florida, the more southern it gets. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) that's typically correct. So tell us about your musical history. How did you start playing? How did you discover that you loved music? How did I discover that I loved music? I think it started with seeing, I don't know that I ever saw the whole movie, but uh, seeing clips of Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Um, on Caught it on TV when I was really, really young. And I loved that these essentially monsters were <clears throat> playing music. Uh, I don't remember really loving the music until I got older. I don't even know that I really heard much of the music. I was just enamored that there were monsters and beasts playing guitars and drums. So uh, I think it started, which probably accounts for why I ended up loving Guar 30 years later. Um, Yeah. So um, yeah, I would say it started with kiss. um, And as I've said in a million other podcasts before, I was always attracted to the heaviest, angriest music that I could find. And when I was like seven years old or, or maybe even younger, I bought, I believe it was Journey Frontiers. Uh, and I loved Journey. You know, Journey was different than Michael Jackson. It was guitar driven, uh, for lack of a better term, a little heavier. Uh, so, yeah, I've always been drawn to the heaviest music that I could find. Uh, I, I've told this story a million times, but uh, one one time a friend of mine and I were shopping for music and we were really young, probably under 10 or maybe about 10. And his mother said, OK, you can both pick out one tape each cassettes. Uh, uh, we were buying cassettes at that point. So we went and picked out what we were what we wanted and we came back and we compared what we had and he had Michael Jackson Thriller and I looked at that tape and I thought to myself why the hell would anyone buy that you could hear these songs on the radio all the time and he looked at my my choice just as quizzically and I had Wasp the Last Command which you know, which made perfect sense to me, but made no sense to him. And likewise, his choice made no sense to me. So for some reason, no reason that I could really identify, 
I was always attracted to what was less popular. Um, you know, like I said, Wasp instead of Michael Jackson. And, and from there, it went to Quiet Riot, Twisted Sister. And then when Motley Crue put out Shout at the Devil, that was became my all-time favorite thing. Um, and in 1986, everything changed. And I found home when somebody played uh, Master of Puppets for me. And that uh, was, yes. It, yeah, that's when the, the, I heard the album right around the time it came out. And uh, a friend of mine at this local clubhouse we used to hang out at played the second side of Master of Puppets for me first. So the first Metallica song that I remember hearing was Disposable Heroes. And uh, again, as I've stated in other podcasts, I simply at that age had never heard music like that. I didn't know guitars could do that. I didn't know there were vocals that were that heavy and angry and uh yeah i never looked back from there i'm i'm sitting right right now at my desk in front of a master of puppets flag so not much has changed <laughs> that's excellent yeah i was going to ask if you were a big metal guy because going back and listening to the shy Halud discography and even zombie apocalypse now and listening to your guitar playing style it's it's very metal i almost like i almost think of like the swedish metal bands and all that kind of stuff and it jumps back and forth from the traditional metal sound to like the really heart-wrenching melodic stuff yeah um well it's funny you say i'm a metal player um and i love to hear that uh, i am not a strong metal player at all the um my friend eric who sings in zombie apocalypse he's one of the two singers but he also writes uh half the music with me uh, he always, he can't believe that I, I don't have a strong down pick, you know, the way James Hetfield can just, <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, I, I learned guitar really. My main influence on guitar was Dr. No and the bad brains. And I, I have more of a fluid strummy guitar style. Uh, and I tend, when I do crunches, I tend to alternate instead of going down my my hand just doesn't do that naturally um but yeah i i owe whatever style i have to dr no and, and bad brains i i would love to be a stronger metal player but uh <laughs> uh truth truth be told i'm not going to be joining metallica or megadeth anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> so do you play more rhythm oriented stuff absolutely in Shai Halud, I, I do some of, uh, well, I've recorded most of Shai Halud's material, so I do a lot of the leads as well. But right now, Shai Halud has another guitar player, my my good friend named Mark, and he's a lot stronger of a, a player than I am. So whenever I go to practice a lead and I'm struggling with it, I say, Mark, you do this, you're better. And <laughs> he, he he takes over because he's a, he's a strong lead player. Uh, but I, I'm much more mooted, much more suited for for rhythms. Yeah, it sounds like we're on the same page there. I, I can put together the skeleton of a song pretty easily. I'm bad at writing bridges for whatever reason. I always need help there. But I can sure. put a verse and a chorus down easy. And I can do s simple leads, nice leads, but nothing too uh, Metallica-like. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I've had some friends try to teach me, and I... I Truth be told, I, I just never had any interest in shredding. Um, right. One of my earliest memories of wanting to play guitar, I started out as a drummer, by the way. 
Um, Yeah, I started out playing drums. And when I moved to guitar, I remember the the first thing that I wanted to do on guitar was write a love song for someone I was in love with <laughs> as, a, as, as a drummer. Yeah. I remember thinking I, what am I going to do? Like play a thrash beat for her? Uh, Check out this Tom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of, one of the main reasons I wanted to play guitar initially was to be able to write love songs. <laughs> I mean, that's a good reason. No, it's a great reason. It's, it's yeah. sweet. It's very sweet. So, when did you start? When did you pick up guitar? And did you end up writing the love song? Uh, I kind of did write the love song. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. When did I start picking up the guitar? Well, my my friend Joe Keat, uh, who some listeners may recognize the name, uh, he was the guitar player and writer for the band from South Florida called Tension. Joe and I were in the thrash band before. Um, all the hardcore stuff. Uh, this is when we were about 13. Uh, we were called unwillful demise. And um, he was trying, he wrote all the songs back then. And he was trying to figure out a solo for one of the songs we had. And, you know, we were young, so he, he wanted me to play a power chord. I'd never touched a guitar before. And he, he's the one who taught me how to play guitar. He said, put one finger here and one finger there and strum these two strings. That's called a power chord. And I, I learned how to do everything else pretty much from there. So, yeah, I would say that I picked up the guitar for the first time when I was about 13, and I borrowed another friend's guitar, and I would just pluck away on that. And, you know, a few years passed. Next thing you know, I, I'm, I can play guitar somewhat competently. So the, the love song. Ah, the love song. <laughs> well... She's married now, so I don't know that I should really tell it, but I will. Um, in, in 1999, uh, I was dating a lovely lady uh, who's still – she's married now, like I said, but she's still one of my best friends. And I remember we were doing we, – we ended up doing um, a split on Trust Kill uh, with another victim called – a whole new level of sickness yes. right around that time. I remember that I was trying to write lyrics for the song, set your body ablaze, which I knew was going to be called set your body ablaze, but I had absolutely no idea what the lyrics were going to be about aside from setting yourself on fire. You know, I just, <laughs> I just like the title. So I remember sitting down trying to write the lyrics and absolutely nothing came out. I remember I, called my then girlfriend and I said, I have you, if my band ends, I have you to blame because I'm, I'm happy. I have nothing mean or, <laughs> or angry to write about. Uh, you know, so that was the joke. But then right after that, maybe after that conversation could have been, or the next day, who knows, I picked up my guitar and in one night, I wrote the music that turned out to be the song um, off our second album, That Within Blood Ill Tempered, called Given Flight by Demon's Wings. And that, that song was written out of having a lot of love in my heart for this girl that I was dating. So if I ever wrote a love song, uh, musically only, because the lyrics have 
nothing to do with being happy. Quite right. the opposite, actually. But um, musically, if I ever wrote a love song, it would be Given Flight by Demon's Wings for the girl that I was dating in 1999. Wow. That's, yeah, see, that gives it new context. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. I love that. Yeah, it's it's one of, uh, you know, we've always been known, I think, for having some uh, pretty and melodic stuff. But that song, if you listen to it, there's there's nothing aside from the vocals and the some of the lyrics. There's really nothing angry about it musically. So it's kind of interesting that it uh, that's how it came about. Shai Halud, I think, is a pretty unique band like. Back when I'm talking the first three song EP and Hearts Once Nourished, there wasn't a lot of stuff like that out there. There wasn't a lot like that happening in heavy music. The only other band I can think of is Strongarm. And yeah, who, who we ripped off completely. Okay, see, I was going <laughs> to ask if they were an influence. Oh, absolutely. Josh, uh, the guitar player, the main writer of Strongarm and I, we the reason I just told the story the other day, the reason that there is a strong arm and a shy halud instead of one band featuring both of us is um, we we played in a hardcore punk band back when I was eighteen and he was I think fourteen, um, and that band was called Planet X, and we wrote songs about science fiction and like just goofy characters that we made up. We were young kids, of course. Uh, so we had a lot of fun playing in that band, but one day Josh said to me, Hey, I need to be in a ministry based band. You know, I, I have to minister to, uh, people and, you know, let them know of my faith. And I said, Oh, wow. You know, I don't have that kind of faith and it wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable at all for me to play in you know, what's known as a Christian band. And from, from right there, we always stayed great friends. Of course, I even have a strong arm poster hanging on my wall still, but, um, Josh and I, we parted ways. I started, uh, another punk band. He started a hardcore band called Endure. And then from the ashes of Endure came strong arm. And likewise from the ashes of my punk band. And I ended up playing in a Scott punk band too, but from from the ashes of those bands came Shy Halud and Strongarm came first, uh, and Josh really came into his own as a songwriter. So the both their records, um, Atonement and Advent of a Miracle, were and still are huge influences on me. In fact, uh, if I'm ever stuck, uh, if I ever have writer's block uh musically i put on advent of a miracle and i always get some inspiration from it still to this day yeah that album if you advent of a miracle is still is the only one i've heard and that was another early hardcore favorite of mine but if you go back and listen to it now which i still do sometimes it still sounds very fresh yeah i i completely agree what were some of your guys influences like what gave birth to that sound that both of you guys were doing in your respective bands? Well, um, I can't really speak for Josh. In fact, a lot of the times, uh, you know, I'm still in touch with the guys. Uh, I was talking to strong arms who was also our drummer back in the day. I was Mm -hmm. talking to him about this the other day. I said, I don't know where Josh got the inspiration to write some of the heavy stuff that he wrote. Cause, uh, 
Josh was always more like a classic rock guy. And then he got into hardcore punk around the same time that I did. But uh, where that heaviness came from, I'll never know. As far as speaking for myself, I was influenced. The the first, I I grew up listening to Metallica, as I already stated. And Metallica is extremely melodic. You know, they have some beautiful stuff. So I'm sure that that was, uh, you know, ingrained in me somewhere. But the first band that I heard where I actually, maybe because I was a little older, but where I actually noted, wow, this is like aggressive music, but the guitars are pretty. Uh, that was a band called Jody Foster's Army, uh, commonly known as JFA. JFA. Yeah. yeah. And I, when I first heard JFA, I fell in love. Uh, in fact, I have a lot of stuff hanging on my wall. I've got their album, Untitled framed uh on vinyl hanging on the wall because that that album was a huge uh revelation for me it was the first time that i realized you could be aggressive and the guitar could be you know for lack of a better term pretty or melodic um yeah and and that's where i would say a lot of that initial uh the beginning of my writing style came a lot from jfa i i would i I would hope that's <clears throat> as they were such an in- influence. But, you know, there were some other melodic hardcore bands and hardcore bands that were doing things that were slightly out of the box. I mean, I loved I loved Youth Crew Hardcore. I loved Youth Today and Uniform Choice and Chain of Strength. Um, but when I heard Burn, I really fell in love because they were so different and the guitar was u- not only melodic, but really unique. Um, also a band from New Jersey, where I live now, uh turning point was when i heard turning point that became a huge influence uh on me uh particularly the last thing that they recorded uh which i think was a split um who else jfa turning point uh for some of the progressive elements a lot of that came from strong arm a lot of that came from strong arms drummer who i just mentioned a guy named steve still one of my my great friends uh, in fact, just to side note a little bit, I always say that my, my life was changed musically twice, like completely turned on its ear twice. The first time was obviously Metallica because I just didn't know that music could be like that. And the second time was Steve Kleisath. Uh, when he joined Shai Hulud, he, he taught me that the drums could also be a creative instrument. I always thought the the beats were just inherent in whatever riffs you write. Uh, but I remember him telling me, yeah, I'm just going to play what sounds natural right now. But, you know, over the next couple of days, I'll rewrite the song uh, on drums. And I thought, what does he mean? Rewrite the song. The drums, are, <laughs> you know, the drums are going to be what they are. Uh, right. But he came back in a couple of days and he had these unique fills and he did, he, without changing the structure of the song, he changed the song and my eyes were opened uh, a door opened that I didn't even know existed. So, uh, I, I, would have to put, uh, as far as some of the off time stuff that shy does, I, I credit that to Steve. I really learned a lot of that, if not all of that from him. Um, but, uh, I, am neglecting some of my, my metal influences. Testament was a huge one for me. Uh, of course, Slayer, and for some more, also some of the odd time stuff and melodic stuff would be later Voivod. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Voivod. 
No, you know, I've I've heard the name so many times. I'm I went from alternative music straight into metallic hardcore. I I totally oh, okay. bypassed metal. Tommy is very into all the metal though. Yeah, I grew up uh liking metal first and I was kind of one of those kids that like yourself, man, I heard Metallica for the first time and I went I've never heard anything like this. And again, it yeah. was that aggressiveness and it also mixed uh it, I metal uh, coincided with uh, my sister got married. My brother-in-law introduced me to punk rock and he was a big, um, not youth crew guy. He was more along the lines of, like uh, dead Kennedy's uh, JFA government issue, a lot of the discord stuff. So I got into a lot of that, but also with him, he was great because he was just into music in general. So he turned me on to things like high back chairs um fugazi like stuff that wasn't necessarily just punk rock and i i think my thing was as i got older i i could appreciate those things but it, uh my personal interest beyond like hardcore was always in metal i've always i've always loved uh like the original like kind of norwegian black metal stuff um I, i'm a huge like when somebody says this band plays really fast. I'm like, eh, I can take it or leave it. Like sometimes it's interesting to see or hear someone play that quickly. Like these guys play it 300 BPM. Okay, cool. Let me hear it. All right. That's enough. I don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> but, um, what really gripped me with metal was when I heard, uh, and I don't know how you say the name of the band. I necrophagist necrophagist. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's as close as I would get it. Yeah. And, and I heard them and I went, this is incredible because yeah. it 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 was kind of like what Shai Hulud did which was it was the heaviness and the brutality that I loved with like heavy music but it also took this really cool um melodic sound but melodic that you hadn't like you know a lot of these lydian scales or things that had a very kind of like arabic kind of style so you're like wow this is fucking off the wall like and you know, uh, to see someone play like that, you know, I, the guy's, I think his name's Muhammad, uh, that plays yeah. guitar and he does everything basically. Right. Um, I was just kind of floored by that. And I was like, I'm, I'm really interested in just technique. Now I stink at guitar. I, but <laughs> I love, I, watching, I love watching people play. And I, I, I love the, the kind of watching people say, okay, so this is the technique you use when you do, you know, sweeping arpeggios like that was like one of the things like my my friends in college we used to joke about all the time was uh, uh, they had never really heard metal before. And at that time, I was working at the college radio station. So I just had this gigantic library of CDs I could go through. And like yourself, I picked out things that looked odd. Like when I saw something, I was like, this looks like it's kind of like metal. I'm going to listen to this. And I picked up Ingve Malmsteen. And there was a, uh, a, a running joke with all of my friends in college. We would watch this uh, Ingve Malmsteen video where he was, you know, doing instructional. And it wasn't, it wasn't instructional at all. It was literally him just being like, okay, so then you play this arpeggiated minor and then and it was like, oh, shit. He's just, but <laughs> the running joke was he was wearing so much jewelry <laughs> in the, um, 
like while he was filming, you could hear the jewelry <laughs> clinking around. It wasn't the string sound. It wasn't his fingers on the string. Like it was literally just, it was his dangly bracelets <laughs> making all this extra noise. It was like, Jesus, this guy like wearing this huge like pirate shirt that was like open, like four buttons down. It was hilarious. Of course, of course. So the, uh, that's one thing I was going to mention with Shai Halud, the, I almost think of it as a signature Shai Halud thing. There'll be like an off timey breakdown with a melodic lead over it. So I guess that came from a lot of the, the metal influence and, and your drummer. Yeah. The, uh, Steve was a huge influence. Um, another band that I should mention, uh, when I, when I heard in flames for the first time, I, I was blown away by the beauty of a lot of their melody, uh, particularly on the albums, um, jester race and Horacle. The, the first song on Horacle to this day still gives me chills. Um, yeah, beautiful stuff. And I always thought, uh, somewhere deep down, which probably came from JFA and, and strong arm mostly. But when I hear, I mean, I love an aggressive, heavy riff, like everybody does. And somebody screaming over that is obviously powerful. So, you know, keeping things, uh, low and mean, is something that I, I always try to incorporate in childhood. But I think the most, one of the most emotional sounds that I've ever heard is uh, pretty music with somebody just blood curdling scream on top of it. You know, uh, a blood curdling scream on top of melodic music is just extremely emotional. And I can't speak for any other bands, but what I try to do when writing songs is create emotion. You know, I very, very rarely, if ever, have I ever tried to make people mosh. I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, people might say, oh, but Shia has a couple sick mosh, mosh riffs. Maybe we do. But I can tell you that was never the goal. The goal was always to make somebody feel and make the hair stand on end. Yeah, it's it's hard to mosh to a shy halud mosh part you know i'm thinking of those <laughs> breakdowns and it's not it's not like four four or like groovy it's just kind of like wait it's here it's there uh, uh. we got a couple uh this first song <laughs> on hearts once nourished and set your body ablaze at the end is yes. a, a, a you know a, a strong four four but yeah you know so i'm i'm coming clean right now my goal was never to make anybody mosh uh sing along and get your hairs on the back of your neck to stand up. That was um, always my more of my main goal. And like I said, the best way to do that is just with, well, one of the ways to do it is to have pretty music and somebody just screaming his or her guts out on top of it. Very powerful to me. Yeah. And I also think about it in kind of a ethereal way that like the emotion you put into it is the emotion that people will feel when they listen to it. I sure hope so. I also think like when I hear I get really like I, when I was a little kid, I remember listening to like classic rock radio um, and I remember hearing, you know, that that break in um, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, dun, 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 and they harmonize it. I remember hearing that the first time going, oh, how are they doing that? That is the coolest <laughs> yeah. noise I've ever heard. Like that was incredible to me because it was like 
it wasn't a singular guitar, but they were doing something. I'm like, oh, how, I don't, how did they do that? And then I heard the same thing again with like Metallica when they would do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is something I can learn and something I can hone. Like, this is cool. Yeah. The funny thing about that is, like I said, maybe it was just because I was too young when I was listening to Metallica. But I, I didn't, even though harmonies are a huge part of the band and, you know, the classic records, I didn't pick up on that. I only picked up on harmonies and got the idea to do harmonies in my own music was when I got into In Flames. And people might think, you know, that's really late for someone to get into that, especially someone coming from Metallica and Iron Maiden has always been a favorite. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it, it never really dawned on me um that that's what they were doing uh it was only when i heard in flames that we started incorporating some harmonies that way so tell us about so yeah. we're we're young shy halud is together we're performing and south florida was a huge area for hardcore you have morning again strong arm shy halud a lot of other bands i can't remember how was it back then how was it playing shows and going to shows and all that? Well, you know, there, it was it was a really close knit scene. Um, everybody was friends. Everybody, uh, you know, people revolved from band to band. You know, everybody was just finding what worked for them. So it was just a huge pool of musicians to to choose from in in the hardcore and metal scene. And like I said, it was extremely close knit. Some of those. South Florida days are, I mean, incredible. We would have shows with local bands that would do just as well, if not better than when a national band came down because our, our scene was, I, I'd like to think anyway, was really, it felt strong to me. It was really strong. And, uh, you know, I used to get excited to see local bands um, instead of just, uh, the, the nationals and you know how a lot of uh, a lot of scenes always say come out and support your local scene don't don't just come out for the big bands i don't think we ever had that problem um not that i can recall at least not in my era because the local bands were you know uh little mini rock stars of our own um you know when when shy Halud started there was a uh, of course, strong arm who I was in love with, but there was another band from Miami that was really popular called brethren. Uh, I absolutely loved brethren would go to see them a uh, band called out of spite from Miami. Uh, a lot of, a lot of bands were like important to us and they weren't national. Uh, a, a one of my favorite bands from South Florida who I always looked up to, uh, even though we sound nothing like them is a, a a punk band, a melodic punk band called quit. Have you guys ever heard of quit by chance? No, no. Oh man. It was like, it was like South Florida's own descendants. They were absolutely fantastic. I don't want to talk your ear off uh, because probably most of the people listening to this wouldn't have heard of quit, but if anybody can uh, go online and, and track down the album earlier thoughts by quit, you'll hear, you know, pop punk before pop punk was even a term. Um, mm. Yeah. And it's one of my all time favorite bands. And that's when, when quit was around was a few years before Shai Halud even started, even before we thought of starting. 
But uh, bands like Quit and Load from South Florida, these are from my era growing up. We also had a couple metal bands that were awesome. Uh, we had a band from Florida called Rape Dape, a metal band that we loved. They actually changed their name, and they were one of the first bands that Century Media ever signed. Oh, wow. Yeah, they changed their name to Pain God. I think you could probably find them on Spotify, but that was from the ashes of a band called Rape Dape. So South Florida always had a really, really strong metal and hardcore scene. And uh, I'm, for lack of a better term, blessed to have been a part of it uh, and you know been born of it and accepted by it with my myriad of bands. Like I said, we started out with Unwillful Demise uh, and had my silly punk band for a while, a ska punk band called Bingo Mutt. You know, all these <laughs> bands were really uh, got to do a lot of really cool things just by being in South Florida, whatever, without ever even thinking of going out of state, you know, because the, the scene was was big enough to accommodate all of us. Yeah, it was the same way in our scene in suburban Philadelphia, Bucks County. We didn't know any national bands. I didn't go to see any national bands. I had only been to one big concert before I discovered hardcore. And if one of our friends was putting on a show, everybody was there. Everybody played all different kinds of bands. It was really a special time. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a special time for us, too. Uh, I hope I'm not romanticizing it because uh, in my head and in my heart, that's how I feel about the South Florida scene. But I think that's pretty accurate. I would say you're not romanticizing it because when I think of, you know, how like alternative people think Seattle. When I think of big eras of hardcore, I think of Florida because you had Shy Halud, Strong Arm, Morning Again. That was like the earlier era. And then you had the second era, which was like Poison the Well and Evergreen Terrace and all those bands. And Evergreen Terrace was uh, a lot more north than, than us. But, oh, uh, so, so they were part of the Florida man scene. <laughs> they might have been. They might have been considered that. I think they were from Jacksonville, if, if I remember correctly, but I could be wrong there. Yeah, South Florida, though, man. What a, what a time. What a what a very important time. And that's why I still on shirts or on records, you know, I still reference our old uh, area codes, you know, 305 and 954 are still that's I mean, that's what that's in Shai Hulud's blood. So I, I yes. don't think Shai Hulud would sound the way we do if we were I, I might have the same influences, but I think there was something about South Florida where I really don't think we would sound the same if we, you know, if we were from Kansas <laughs> or somewhere. I don't know. Matt, do you, did you get into, I know that was like big in like the late eighties, kind of early nineties was like the Florida death metal scene, kind of like death and morbid angel. Sure. Deicide obituary. Did that have any kind of influence on you as well? Um, death did because I got into death when they were still, at least to my knowledge, they were still known as a thrash band. Um, I got into death on their first record, Scream Bloody Gore, um, and loved that. And when, uh, Leprosy came out, which is my favorite of death's discography, uh, I'm actually looking at a death leprosy mouse pad that I have hanging on the wall next to me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I was big into death, but by the time that I heard morbid angel or deicide 
or any of these other Florida death metal bands, I was knee deep into hardcore and punk. So I I had to go back and get into some of the death metal that I missed. Death metal still to this day is not one of my favorite genres of metal. There's some bands I love. You know, I love Napalm Death. I love Vader from Poland. Uh, I love Opeth, which I guess could be considered death metal at one point. But uh, yeah, for me, my metal is like straight thrash and and heavy metal. And then I got into, like I said, some of the heavier stuff with uh, death. But I remember the first album that I ever heard that was classified as death metal. And that was Deicide's first album. My friend who I mentioned from Tension, Joe Keat, he had uh, bought... I don't even know what Deicide's first album is called. I think it's just self-titled, but um, he bought it on vinyl. And I was, I remember I was at his house and he played it for me and I hated it. I absolutely (laughs) hated it. Um, But like with a lot of people, when I don't know what it is about hardcore and punk, but there's definitely something elitist about it. Once, once you finally get in, you know, and you learn at, at that time, you know, you're learning about, um, Dead Kennedys and GBH uh, and and sick of it all. Once you get into that scene, everything else is like poser shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like I remember that. Like my own friends, I was accepted into that community by some people, and I was getting into the music. And some of my own friends were like, like checking me, like, "Oh, you listen to this now." Oh, you just listened to the CDs he listens to? And I was like, what the fuck? Like, Ugh. aren't we friends? You got like, to pass the purity test, Keith. That's the word I was looking for. Purity test. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah like, purity what? test. Uh, yeah. Believe me, I had to pass a few of those myself. But once, <laughs> but that's the funny thing about hardcore and punk. Once you get into it, you start giving the purity tests. Oh, and yeah. I, you know, I, I gave Deicide the purity test and it failed. It failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> now at, at 40 48 you know i could go back and i do like the aside now but uh i couldn't have been any less interested when i was like n- neck deep into hardcore and punk yeah there we talk about this on the show all the time like there are bands i i didn't listen to for decades because i was just like no i don't listen to that or there was albums i didn't listen to because i'm like no i don't listen to them anymore just so many years of i i don't know just deciding that i'm not into something and now that i'm older i can just go back and listen to whatever and not think like oh this isn't cool or oh i don't want someone to know i listen to this or whatever other meaningless stuff you do when you're younger yeah no it's it's absolutely true i remember shyhalu got to open in south florida when we still live there uh we got to open for entombed uh if you would have told a 48 year old me that we get to open uh for entombed you know, I would be thrilled and I would buy T-shirts and I'd be up front. Well, probably not up front, but, you know, I'd, I'd be very engaged in the show. Um, when we opened for Entombed way back when, couldn't care less. Never heard of them. <laughs> didn't didn't know anything about them. Uh, they were touring on the album To Ride, Shoot Straight and Speak the Truth, I think. Uh, an album that I love now. Yeah, but back then it was ah some. Who are you playing with this Saturday? Ah, some metal band, Entombed. Yeah, you know, yeah. So uh, they didn't even pass the purity test, and they're probably they're (laughs) more hardcore than I am. (laughs) You know, 
so yeah, it's it was an interesting thing getting into hardcore punk, the the elitist attitude attitude that you adopt. Yeah, you know what's really funny is I actually this is kind of a connection, Matt, that I have uh with you. A kid that went to my high school that I was friendly with, and I went to an I went to an all boys private school. Um nice. he played in Shai Hulud for about three years. His name was Matt Canning. Oh, sure. Yeah, of yeah. course. So uh Matt was one of the dudes that I knew from high school that was like a metalhead, metalhead. Like when I saw he he was in the school band, but uh I remember he was like, oh, I'm bringing my guitar to school. And he brought his guitar in. I remember he had that. And uh, do you remember that it used to have people used to have those stickers on their computer that would say like Intel inside. And yeah. it was like he had a sticker on his guitar that said evil inside. And I remember being <laughs> like, oh, this kid's like of like a metalhead. I'm not going to hang out with him. And he ended up being like one of the nicest, smartest, kindest people. <laughs> I was like, this dude's a fucking. And he's like one of these people now. Uh, he's real into like. um brazilian jiu-jitsu uh he for a period of time you ever see those like pancakes that people make that look like art pretty sure he was like doing that like really like really well like i remember him posting something he's written like three or four books <laughs> this kid's like a fucking super prolific and i'm like i dismissed it because like, oh he's a fucking metalhead i'm not gonna listen to him and it's like then i go to see shy hood i'm like matt <laughs> like to see him at i'm like holy shit like that's you're that's fucking nuts you're in this band <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, but I, I know what you mean about when you meet somebody, especially when you're younger, you meet somebody that's more metal than you. Uh, I, I remember when I, I was asked to go to a party, like a real metal party, and I was so terrified because I, I really thought that they – I had visions of them like sitting in a darkened closet, you know, ripping <laughs> apart chickens and stuff. I'm not joking. Like I really, I really thought that that happened. Uh, and I was so terrified to go to this party because they were more metal than I was. And God only knows what they were into. Yeah, I thought that kind of stuff, too, if I saw someone like really into Slayer. But Matt, let me ask you about sure. Shai Hulud. Now, as legend had it back in the day before the Internet really took off, Chad joined the band. Was he singing along at a show or something? And you guys heard he had a good voice. So you you got him into the band because you needed a singer? Um, that's somewhat true, but, uh, he, he got into our little group because if I, if I understand it correctly, he went to the same church as some of the guys in strong arm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was hanging out with the strong arm guys. I think Shai Lude was in its earliest stages with Damien Moyle from culture and, uh, as friends, rust on vocals. Yeah. Uh, so when I met Chad, he was, I think he was 14 when I, he could have even been 13 because he joined the band when he was 15. Mm-hmm. So let's say around there, 13, 14. How old were the rest of you? Uh, we were about 20. I was 23 when Chad was 15. So yeah, 20, 21, 22 when I first met him. Depending on when I met him, I really can't remember. I think he was probably 14. But yeah, uh, he was just this young kid that would hang out with Strongarm. And the funny thing about Chad, a lot of people will love this, is that, you know, he always, he loved hardcore and he loved metal. But boy, was he into pop punk before it was really, <laughs> a, you know, a term. 
because he would always I I played in uh, like I had mentioned briefly I played drums in a, a ska punk band for a couple of years called Bingo Mutt and we put out a seven inch that he really liked so he said oh I love that you like like you know punk rock too do you like Green Day I'd say no do you like Blink One Eighty Two no because that stuff was always just a little too cutesy for me yeah um, but you know with what with what Chad ended up doing with newfound glory, you know, I can't even blame him because from the very beginning, in addition to loving Metallica and sick of it all and gorilla biscuits and youth of today, he was right there with green day and blink One Eighty Two and whatever other bands were doing that sound back then. Um, so it's, it's, it may newfound glory to some people doesn't make sense because it, he came from Shia Lude straight to newfound glory, but he always had those, he always had those roots, but he, he was hanging out with um, the strong arm guys. And uh, incidentally me, because I was just with the strong arm guys. Uh, I, I don't remember where we first heard him. I think it might've been at one of our shows with tension, the band that I mentioned earlier. And I think he was singing along with them. And uh, Damien said to me, hey, if it doesn't work out with me, you should get that guy, that guy from uh, that sang along with Tension, Little Chad. So, yeah, essentially, that's how it happened. I remember we he joined he was going to join the band, but I wanted to hear him recorded first. And he was on Tension. I think he was on Tension's album. He was on somebody's album. And somebody said, yeah, so this is, you know, little Chad, what he sounds like. And I remember thinking right then and there, yeah, this is, this is definitely the guy. Yeah. So he's a little younger than you guys. How do the band dynamics work out? Did you have a lot of lyrical input and would you have to like show him stuff? How does that work? Yeah. Well, when, when Damien was in the band, Damien, you want to talk about prolific. Damien is also a very prolific writer and an, uh, brilliant writer and an effortless writer so when he was in shy he he wrote all the lyrics Mm -hmm. um so after he left you know i knew it was i i somebody had to take up the mantle so i just did you know our bass player wrote lyrics even steve our drummer wrote some here and there but um you know chad was 15 so we didn't i mean now he's he's 40 and I'm 48. So it doesn't even seem like that big of a difference, but 23 and 15 felt you know we felt like there was an eternity between us. So we didn't task Chad with writing any of the lyrics. Uh although Chad did come up we were we were in our warehouse and uh we were playing the song what became the song for the world. Originally it was called Sav Kipu. Well, it's a French term. I don't know what it means. But um, <laughs> yeah, Damien wrote the original lyrics and he originally wrote, I hate you. And I remember Chad screamed into the, or, sorry, did I say I hate you? He originally wrote, I love you. And Chad screamed into the mic, I hate you. And we said, oh, we should keep that. So Chad is uh, responsible for I love you becoming I hate you, which is, <laughs> is you know, ironic to say the least. But um, yeah, so we didn't, I wrote most of the lyrics mostly because uh, no one else was doing it. I mean, our bass player wrote a couple songs off our first album. Um, He wrote the songs Beliefs and Obsessions and Eating Bullets of Acceptance. 
Uh, and then the rest of the lyrics were written by me and whatever was left over by Damien. So Chad didn't have the burden of, of writing lyrics, but like you, you said for a second there, we would just show him what to do. And, and he was always creative, extremely creative, as we now know with, you know, writing all the music or most of the music for Newfound Glory. But um, he would come in with lyric placements here and there. I remember one time we were having trouble uh, figuring out how to start the song uh, Profound Hatred of Man. And mm -hmm. he said, why don't you just start it as soon as it comes in? So the way that song comes in was because of Chad. That was his idea. So he was he was involved, but I think was probably just a little too young to start writing lyrics for, you know, a band of guys that were in their 20s. Yeah. And. I like hearing that everyone's working together and contributing because I don't know. I've just, I guess it's my own ego too. Cause I would always be like, no, I want to write this or I could be difficult or I could be in difficult situations where everyone wants to do their own thing. Or if I'm trying to force my own thing in, but it sounds like everyone's working together and Chad being so young and being able to have ideas like that and do the stuff he's doing vocally is pretty incredible too. Yeah, well, like I've said a million times, Chad sound Chad sounded more like a man at 15 than I do at 48. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that was the thing that we were worried about when we were going to record our uh, the three song EP, Profound Hatred of Man. You know, we we'd already done a few shows with him, and we knew he sounded great. But I just re remember thinking, how is this guy? Is is he going to sound like a kid? on you know on record but to this day in 2021 he still sounds beefy and like a man big time my scream still sounds more high-pitched his is like this bellowing guttural thing yeah we used to call him mini dead guy <laughs> <laughs> that's good so yeah i got into hardcore around 98 99 and a lot of my friends were shy halud fanatics just super fans and i got into the band the first three song ep and of course hearts once nourished with hope and compassion absolute classics and i remember seeing you guys around that time too and this was back when the internet was kind of new and people would put their email addresses in the insert and if someone had an at aol email address i would like randomly instant message them and being like hey are you in the band and they'd be like yeah and i'd be like Cool. Remember me at the show? They'd be like, no, nope, there was a couple hundred people there. <laughs> <laughs> we put our AOL addresses in the in one of our records. And, and here's here's something funny. We did it for that reason. We wanted people to contact us. You know, we wanted yes. to talk. It was uh it was fun. That was a, that was the burgeoning internet, you know, when everyone was on AOL Instant Messenger. That was a great time. Big time. And yeah, I remember seeing the band for the first time. Yeah, Middlesex County College, and okay. the show was with Caven and Haybreed and a bunch of other bands. Yeah, classic and, show, great show. Oh god, yeah, and there, I think there's video of it on YouTube too. And I think the Indecision Split was coming out or had just come out, and boy, it was like a mind blowing experience to see you guys for the first time. That might have been the first time I actually sang along at a show too, because oh nice, it was like scary to get involved in shows in Philly because. There was so much violence and craziness at the time, <laughs> but I don't know. It just seemed, I guess it seemed safer at the Middlesex show. And there was a bunch of people like piled on stage with the band singing along. And it was just a great time. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite shows we ever played. 
That was, uh, and, and it's one of Chad's last shows. And uh, I think that might have been, we, we, once we, after we parted ways with our original bass player, we had another guy named Matt Fletcher. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Fletcher originally joined on guitar. And I think that was his first show that he ever played with us um, at Middlesex with our original bass player still on bass and uh, Matt Fletcher on guitar. So, yeah, that, that was kind of like a cornerstone show for us. I, I remember the crowd being crazy that night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still remember that when it was great. And now I, I remember when Ch- word was got out that Chad was going to be leaving the band to focus on Newfound Glory. And my, you know, we were really into Shy Halud, and my, I remember my friend was like, "Oh, we're gonna make anti Newfound Glory shirts and wear them to the Shy Halud show." And I, I even when I was back then, I was like seventeen, and even at that age, I remember thinking like, "Oh, that sounds a bit extreme." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when Chad left, was it was it weird? Was there like any tension? I would say ultimately we were cool. I mean. We we had a European tour coming up. One of the reasons that Chad left initially was because of Newfound Glory. You know, they just got signed to Drive Through, and you know, we all not not just Chad and those in Newfound Glory hoping we all saw a future for Newfound Glory. You know, it was it was pretty clear. So that was one of the reasons. But also he. There was in Europe. There was, uh, if I remember correctly, back in 1999, there was an issue in Kosovo, and you know he didn't want to fly over to Europe. He was terrified. So I think uh, a combination of Newfound Glory, you know, being his band, where he was writing, you know, he could write whatever he want wanted musically or lyrically. Whereas in Shailud, he really had to submit stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because we were older. Uh, and Newfound Glory were his friends from his high school. It was his band. Um, so I think uh, in tandem with not wanting to go to Europe in 1999 is what caused him to quit. So it put us in a little bit of a position because we we really went over to Europe with no singer. And as legend, if you want to call it that, kind of has it, you know, we met Geert, our, our well, I guess technically our third singer, uh, over when we played in Holland. So, but there, there was no, I mean, like I said, because it was so clear that newfound glory was onto something there were, there was no real tension. Um, even after Chad had quit, we recorded the, uh, the music for the, another victim split. And in that session, we also did our song for, the bad brains comp. If you guys know, I think it's called never give in bad brains tribute that came out in around 99, 2000. So we recorded the music for that. And I remember asking him because we didn't have a singer yet. I said, Hey, well, I know you're not in the band, but would you do this for us? Cause otherwise we're going to be printed on the packaging, but not on the CD. Uh, so he agreed to do it. You know, so yeah, I think that we always remained friends and, and it was just, it was basic by the time they got famous, you know, we'd already expected it. I remember I was like, uh, I'd be working out in the gym and looking at the TV and Chad's showing his crib on MTV. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of, uh, 
Circa Survive was that band in our area. Like just everyone that was in it and kind of the vibe and everything that was coming together. I think we all kind of knew it was going to be something special. And it sounds like New Newfound Glory had that going on down in Florida. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, they had uh, like their shows were always really well attended. They always did really well down in South Florida. Uh, yeah. And like I said, I, I'm pretty sure we all knew this is these guys. I mean, at least I, I for me, it was a sense of dread because, you know, I was like, we're going to lose. I know we're going to lose Chad to this band. Uh, yeah. And I remember having that feeling for a long time before they got, you know, mm. where they got. So, yeah, we all saw it coming. So how do you hook up with gear? Gear, we went over to Europe really without a singer. We had this one guy that was supposed to sing, but he he came with us and ended up being a roadie. His voice, I don't remember if it was he didn't know the songs or his voice wasn't what we were looking for. So Matt Fletcher, who was our guitar player at that time, our second guitar player, he said, you know what? Just let's go with one guitar and I'll sing. Yeah. And okay, let's try it. But we got over there and we were getting complaints to our booking agent saying, you know, is this the shy that put out the release profound agent of man? Cause it doesn't sound like them. Uh, you know, this is not what I expected. So we were not doing well at all, but I think it was our second or third show that we played in Holland. And I remember I was talking to a very pretty girl who seemed interested in me. So I was very happy about that. And this, uh, little kid, (laughs) he seemed little, he's he's a small guy kept coming over to, uh, to me And, you know, uh, talking my ear off about stuff. And I, I, you know, I always want to be nice. I'm always nice to people, I think, Uh, unless they're smoking. Then I I tend to get a little standoffish. (laughs) But um, I'm allergic to cigarette smoke. So if somebody comes up to me and they're smoking, I'm like a wreck. But anyway, he wasn't smoking. But I was talking to uh, a nice lady. So, um, but he just wouldn't go away. Eventually, the lady went away. And, uh you know, gear started telling me how he loved the music. He loved the lyrics. The indecision split had, had already come out for a couple of years. Like that's my favorite thing that you guys did. Uh, and it was, we, it was really refreshing meeting him because he was, he was such a big fan. Uh, so we played the show and didn't think about anything. And then I believe the next night we played somewhere in Germany and all of us, this is in 1999. I had never been to Europe before. I did not know anybody in Germany uh, or, or in Europe for that matter. So I get, uh, we get to the show and somebody says, is Matt Fox here? And I, yeah, that's me. Why? Well, you have a phone call. I have a phone <laughs> call in Germany. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, for all I know, maybe I was hoping it was the girl. But uh, no, I, I really had no idea who it was whatsoever. And I picked up the phone and it was Geert. He goes, hi, Matt. This is Geert from yesterday's show. Said, oh, hi. How are you doing? And um, he just wanted, he he said, hey, I, uh, I'd i like to meet up with you guys at a couple of the shows and maybe come on tour with you. And I was kind of taken aback by it because I didn't, you know, wow, he 
wants to go on tour with us. And I, I made a joke. I said, yeah, maybe you could even try singing because we knew it wasn't going that well with Fletcher. Um, yeah. Uh, though Fletcher, you know, was doing his best. Um, right. But yeah, so he ended up coming on tour with us. I think he watched us at, at one show, didn't sing that night. And the next night I said, yeah, why don't you try and uh, scream, see what happens? And I remember when he let loose his first like test scream in the mic, everybody in the band that wasn't him all looked at each other with those eyes like, well, holy shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And we knew. And not only that, he knew most of the songs already. And all of a sudden, Shilud came together in Europe and we ended up having a pretty decent tour uh, really thanks to gear shortly after he joined the band, he moved to Florida and joined the band. That's an incredible story. That's like the, that's like the hardcore kid dream. Like even I'm, I'm 40 years old and I still dream like, Oh, I'm going to go to the show and the singer's not going to show up and I'm going to have to step up and take care of business. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what he did. And, uh, he sounded great. And, you know, we ended up recording, uh, we already had the music for Set Your Body Ablaze, Linoleum, and the Bad Religion cover, Anastasia, all recorded. Um, so when he he moved to Florida and we promptly got uh, <laughs> we got to work on the lyrics, the lyrics that I couldn't write because I was too happy before. Um, <laughs> you know, we wrote Set Your Body Ablaze together with Fletcher, the three of us, really. And yeah, the rest, uh, the rest happened. Uh, that Within Blood Tempered came uh, a few years later. Yeah, that's incredible. And yeah. so how does it, I'm curious about a, a mechanics question here. You know, there's there's been a lot of different touring members and different members in and out of the band over the years. True. How does it work when someone new is coming in? Like, do you just tell them, hey, just know it when you show up? Or do you help them learn stuff? I'm always curious about how that works. Uh, when it comes to guitar, I, I, I teach everybody. Ah, okay. That, that's come in. And it's gotten to the point, you know, before, right now, our singer is Jay Pepito, who plays bass in the band End and used to sing for the band Reign Supreme. And he messaged me about a year or so ago uh, and just said, it's time. So I knew, okay, he wants to, you know, he wants to get Shahilud going again because we had changed so many members. We had so many changes in such a short amount of time uh, that I was, I was spent. And I really thought that Shai Hulud was over because I just did not, I did not have the energy to teach people songs anymore. You know, it was, it was over for me. Um, so that's how we ended up, you know, coming back into the fold. But yeah, when it comes to teaching people or guitar players, I would teach them. When drummers would audition, you just tell them, you give them like three songs to to learn and hope that when you practice with them, they have the three songs, which, you know, which is what happened with our current drummer. He's been with us for like five years now. He's been, he's done our last few tours. Uh, his name is Mo Watson awesome drummer out of Northern New Jersey. Yeah. You know, we told him just, uh, Hey, t take these three songs and let's see if you can get it. And we, I remember we went to practice with him and he just nailed it. Um, as far as, yeah, 
the only people that I really teach would be the guitar players. Um, over some of the time, I'd have to go over the lyrics with the singer because we have a lot of lyrics. So, you know, we have a lot of lyrics, which is something that I've changed. I, I don't write that much. <laughs> I don't write as many lyrics these days because I learned how much of a hell it is for a singer. I, I Being a guitar player and not the singer, I always wanted vocals over every part of the song, not realizing that our singer is also a human being and needs to breathe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I've, I've learned this now. So when I write lyrics, I say, okay, well, we'll, we'll let the music shine here and let the singer, you know, grab some water or something. But um, yeah, with singers, I would sometimes have to go over the rhythms because some of the rhythms, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think so, but I've been told that some of the rhythms vocal rhythms can be a little tricky here and there big time big time yeah and here's a question how do you how did you find the drive to keep going with member changes and having to show people because i the last band i was in was in 2017 18 and it was the first band that i was ever like at the center of writing most of the music and trying to find the members and trying to hold it together and i don't know trying to teach people parts and it I burn out really quick. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't find the right people. I couldn't find people who would learn the parts. The people who could learn the parts quick moved on to other things. And I, I just got crushed. I couldn't handle the rejection anymore. How, how did you find the willpower to keep it together and keep touring and keep recording? I, I didn't, it, it beat me. It, it crushed me too. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. That's I mean, right now, Shy, as it stands right now, Shia Lute hasn't played a show in over five years. Um, oh. our, yeah, our last show was in was on tour in Japan. And that's the time that I was talking about. We went through so many uh, different guitar players and different singers, and it wasn't working out. Either we weren't getting along or somebody only wanted to do it for money and thought there was going to be more money than there was. You yeah. know, we've, we've had that problem a lot. People, you know, think, Oh my God, I'm joining Shia Lu. These guys, they've been around forever. They must make tons of money. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> and, and there's not usually a lot of money to go around, but um, yeah, it crushed me. Uh, so as far as how I got the drive, like I said, Jay, just a, about a year or so ago, texted me, it's time, which, you know, basically meant, all right, let's stop fucking around and let's start putting this back together. Um, and we're having our first practice this month um, with Jay. Uh, I mean, we, we've practiced with him before because he, he filled in for us for two. We had a singer back then, but our singer at that time couldn't make these shows and I, I happened to be working out with Jay. He was training me at the time, which, mm -hmm. if you know me, is really hilarious. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I remember asking him if he would just do these two shows for us. And I think that's when the idea popped in both of our heads. Hey, this actually worked. <clears throat> you know, I thought maybe in the future we could uh, ask him again. I guess he thought the same thing. But just to reiterate. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't have the energy to move on. Um, for a while, I did. I mean, I did it for a good 10 years. But b back in the day, we had Matt Fletcher, who was our bass player, but used to play guitar. So he would show new guitar players some of the basic songs. And I would show them some of the newer, at that time, like more That Within Blood Old Tempered songs, 
which were which is why Fletcher moved from guitar to bass because our songs got a little more techy and he was more comfortable playing bass. But you know, for like the classic Hearts Once Nurse songs, I had him and he would show those basic songs to a new guitar player, which took a lot of load off me, and I took the load off him by showing them the newer stuff. Uh, but once Fletcher ended up going back to school and moving back to Oklahoma, it was all on me. And it took a it took a few short years before I was finally burnt out. I mean, even thinking about it right now, we, we've had a guitar player for, you know, that, that I've been working with. Well, he was on tour with us about seven years ago anyway. Uh, but then he he couldn't he couldn't stay in the band and he just rejoined not that long ago. But we're playing a song that we haven't played in about 10, 12 years. And I have to show him that sometime this week. And I'm still dreading it. Like the the fact of going going back and relearning the song myself and teaching it to somebody else. I'm I'm still burnt. I'm still burnt from it. Uh, So I'm thankful that the guitar player we have with he's got such a great memory he remembered all the songs that he learned from 7 years ago so wow jesus yeah, he's he's incredible <laughs> he's he really is an incredible player like i said earlier uh i give him the tough leads if i can't do them as well as i used to <laughs> because he's just a better player all around so during this long hiatus for shy Hulud, is that when you started up zombie apocalypse that's when we restarted zombie apocalypse it's kind of the same story uh, with Jay, Jay's not in Zombie Apocalypse, but Eric, one of the two singers who writes uh, the songs with me, he just started, uh, I don't even know how long ago it was, maybe, God, it's so long ago at this point, maybe about five years ago, he started sending me just stuff that he was writing. And I don't know if it was him or if it was me, but one of us said, yeah, that would be good if Zombie Apocalypse ever got back together. You know, this would be a a good riff to base a uh, you know a release on, and with that, whoever said it, Eric just started sending me more and more riffs, and I said, "That's great. That definitely would be awesome for Zombie," um, and and that's how it was resurrected, just by Eric sending me random riffs that he was writing because he was. He's a great guitar player in his own right. Eric, on, on a side note, is also, he's been in Shai Hulud before. He sang for us around 2005. Uh, he's been one of my best friends for, for over a decade, but he's now playing bass for Shai Hulud. So he's oh, always okay. been, yeah, he's always been in the, in the pool. Uh, on another interview, not too long ago, we were talking about that. Like Shai Hulud has a pool of people that are in the band. It doesn't work out for whatever reason. Um, but we stay friends and now that Shilud is touring in a very limited capacity that allows my friend Mark and my friend Eric to rejoin the band because now we're not trying to tour for six, seven months out of a year. Right. You know, now it's going to be a few shows a year, so it becomes easier, but yeah, that's how zombie was resurrected by Eric, just writing really cool riffs for himself and sending him to his friend, me and either him or me again, I don't remember which just saying, Hey, that would be great for zombie. And you know, just a couple of years ago, we put out, uh, our last EP, not last, but our latest EP life without pain is a fucking fantasy is the record. 
and I implore everybody to check it out. I was listening to it recently. It's a nice counterpart to Shai Halud. It's like more straight ahead thrashy, but still a lot of the intricate metal guitar in there. Yeah, yeah. Very it's good, very good stuff. Yeah, I love Zombie Apocalypse. Um, it, it, in some ways, I love Zombie more than I love Halud, only because um, there are songs that I have nothing to do with, musically or lyrically. So it's more exciting for me because it's not like looking at myself in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, you just have it, to play it. Yeah, I have to play it. I learn it just like, you know, I have to teach everybody else. And it's just great because it's it's uh, so it's it, it doesn't all come from my brain and my heart. Sometimes if you had to be forced to listen to your your own brain and your own heart, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ, let me give me anything else but that. <laughs> so sometimes uh listening to Shai Halud, if I have to to relearn something is is like looking at myself in the mirror in a brightly lit room, you know, where you just see all your own flaws. It's terrible. Terrible. Yeah, I I haven't been in that situation, but I imagine it would be pretty crazy if I I don't even know if I know how to play any of my band's old songs, you know? Uh, yeah. But like if I had to sit there and relearn them all, I'd be like, "Oh man, I'm back in 2004 2008 and things are really bad (laughs) sure how do you look back on the legacy of shy halud and just everything you've done musically and all the touring is it is it mostly good times or i mean how do you look back on it all that's a that's a great question um i i recognize that shy halud made some sort of an impact not as much of an impact as uh other bands but more of an impact than I ever thought possible. So the fact that we exceeded our own expectations is pretty incredible. And ultimately, I'm proud of of all the stuff we've done, even though sometimes it depends on what mood I'm in. But sometimes I go back and I listen to something and I go, people like this? (laughs) It's it's really not that great. But... um, but it depends on my mood. Sometimes I listen back and I say, oh, this is all right. You know, this doesn't stink. Good for you. I do the same thing. I like, I'll listen to my last record and sometimes I'll be like, this is so good. And other times I'll be like, oh, I fucking suck, man. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it depends. It depends. But yeah, I think as we get older, when you're young, everybody wants to be, or let me keep it on myself. When I was young, it's like, I want to be in a band that's really big. I really want everyone to like us. I want everything to be the best, but as I've gotten older, I can just appreciate everything that I've done and be glad that I did it. Yeah. And and that's where I'm at. Uh, Like I said, I I guess one of the best things that you could possibly do, like I mentioned, is um, exceeding your own expectations. And I I never thought that Hulud would write and record an album, much less tour much less play Australia and have, you know, uh, hundreds of kids with their hands in the air singing along to our lyrics that were written in South Florida with, you know, while I was sitting in my underwear eating peanut butter out of a jar with a spoon, you know? (laughs) So yeah, we exceeded our expectations. Um, and, and, and that makes me proud. And the fact that the band has had an impact, I mean, its impact is lessened over time, of course, because now, Bands that were inspired by us inspired other bands that inspired other bands that inspired other bands that are now the biggest bands in the world. 
and those bands don't you know they they don't go back to the generations where their influences got their influences so you know there i mean but there was a time where like probably in the early 2000s where i'd go into a record store I wouldn't necessarily see our record, but I'd see like a new band and it would say for fans of Shy Hulud. And I would just think, huh, cool. You know, (laughs) that's going to be an amazing feeling. Yeah. It was cool for when it lasted (laughs) while it lasted. (laughs) Uh, um, But yeah, there was, there was that time for us. Uh, Again, I believe that time has passed, but who knows, you know, we're working on new material and uh, you know, I hope to be back in the game Definitely not to the extent that we were in our youth, but just to be back in the game and to be thought of as a regularly touring band, even though the touring will be very sporadic and uh, not not seven month world tours like we used to do. So let's talk about what's coming up, Matt. What do we want to plug? What can we announce? Give it to us. Well, Halud has really nothing to plug um, release wise. Like I said, I, I'm hesitant to say it because I don't know when it's going to be done. Shilud is is not my priority these days, where as it used to be. Um, but we are working on a release. What that release will be, where it can be found, what's going to be on it, uh, all remains to be seen. But we are working on something. So there's got to be someone out there that <laughs> that's good news too. Um, <laughs> uh, otherwise. Shilud has a show coming up. Um, we're playing Furnace Fest in September. Uh, everybody listening, I'm sure, knows about Furnace Fest. It's a, a big throwback to the past. Oh, uh, yeah. With I'll all... be there. Oh, you'll be there. Great. Yes. Make sure you come introduce yourself. Just don't smoke when you come near me. No, uh, I gave that up. <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, so Furnace Fest is coming up, and we have a show with From Autumn to Ashes in Brooklyn uh, in December. So Halud wise, that's what what's coming up. Not much next year. Uh, we've got some plans, but they're still being worked out. And hopefully, people will be able to see us around. But like I said, by next year, we should be thought of as a band that is active, which will will be nice for you know the change that has been the f- past five years. Well, that's excellent, and I look forward to seeing you at Furnace Fest. And Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You know, hardcore, getting into hardcore music and hardcore shows changed my entire life. It gave me all of my best friends. It gave me the music I love to this day. It gave me ideals and ideas outside of the small suburban town that I grew up in that I still hold dear to today. And Shai Halud was one of the first bands that carried me into that scene and awesome. you know you've just you've written a lot of excellent music over the years that I love that Tommy loves that a lot of people love yeah. and I just really want to thank you for writing that music and for taking the time to speak to us today. Hey, uh my pleasure. I'm always thrilled that somebody wants to talk to me. So thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> it. I feel the same way. Go back and listen to Given Flight so you can hear the love song. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. I really really appreciate it. Not a problem, Matt. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, really. There you have it, folks. Matt Fox. Excellent discussion. 
We talked about a lot of really good things. There were some great stories in there. I loved the story about how he met Geert and how they hooked up on tour. And that moment when he said, you know, he let out that scream and everyone just looked at each other like, oh my God, this is the guy. That's that's so rare. That's so cool. And just, you know, Shai Halud is, in a, I think Shai Halud is a very important band in the late 90s, early 2000s, melodic metalcore scene. And as we told him, Tommy, one of the first hardcore bands we got into, and he was just really nice to talk to. Yeah, and I think he kind of hit the nail on the head where it's like, they've influenced bands that have influenced bands that have influenced bands that are now like the popular bands. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like fourth generation of that type of thing. But it, um, you know what's something I have to admit, and I, I have to, now I have to do some listening. I don't really know Strong on strong Arm very well. Oh, really? No. No, I always, I, I, I just, ne- I never, I've heard of them a lot. Uh, and I knew, I, I thought they were like one of the tooth and nail bands or maybe solid state. I don't remember where they were, like they were kind of positioned with those bands. And I just, I just never got into them. I know ne- I never gave them the chance, honestly. Check them out after this advent of a miracle. That's the one you guys mentioned yesterday. I actually looked it up because I, I, as soon as I was done yesterday, when we were done recording yesterday, um, I went to go do like exercise real fast. And I was like, I have like 20 minutes. I was like, let me put something on. So I was like, you know what? We just talked to the dude from Shai Hulud. I listened to Shai Hulud. It's just as good as I remember when I was younger. Like it's, yes, it holds up. It really does. I, you know, this, this song, a profound hatred of man. Yes. What, what, this is what I do. I was just editing the episode, right? And, what I do when I listen to the when I'm editing the episode, I'll take breaks and listen to the band we're talking to and all the songs that we talk about. Mm-hmm. And that ending of profound hatred of man, where he says, "This world will pass away, and my emotions with it. Why should I sign for acceptance and peace of mind?" And there's that melodic breakdown that breaks my heart, man. Yeah. That's so. That's such a good part. That is a great part. And Tommy, I was also listening to Strongarm just before this. So check out the album, The Advent of a Miracle, and the song, The Advent of a Miracle. That's the song I was listening to. That's always the first one I go to. So the album is called Advent of a Miracle, and the song is called that. Yeah. Okay. That's the song I always go to first. And you'll hear the you'll, the two, Shai Halud and Strongarm sound pretty similar. They're like the only two bands I know that sound like that. You know what I mean? Like back in the day. I think that's one of those things I kind of, I, I, okay. So Matt mentioned it and it was something that I was like, yeah, I think at one point in time, that was something really uh, I looked for in music was melodic music with someone screaming over top of it. Yes. And then that became extraordinarily overdone. <laughs> and I, as soon as I heard like a melodic kind of, or like, you know, part that was like, obviously in a major key and very much kind of like, Oh, this is the, the pretty part of the song and someone sang and then someone screamed over top of it. I was just like, no, I don't, I don't want this anymore. (laughs) It was a passing fancy for me in terms of like my interest in that type of music. And I, I I still hear it today with stuff and I'm like, "Eh." sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't, you know, if it's done well, 
there was something I, I listened to the other day and I hadn't listened to in a very long time. And it was uh, somebody, I don't know who put it out, but uh, maybe it was Spiritfall, but they did the you and I discography. And yes. I, I was clicking through some of those songs. Um, there's a song called uh, JCM 143. Holy cow, that song is so good. And it does have that same type of like screaming, singing, melodic part, but it's like, I, I'm a sucker for you and I. I remember seeing them when I was younger and being like kind of blown away of like, these guys are really, really good musicians. And on top of that, um, they went crazy when they played. I love that. I love like I love that like a real emotive part of it, like where they were like, they were going nuts. Like they really were behind the music and, and feeling what they were playing. But you and I were a good band. I would like to talk to one of them one day. But Tommy, guess what I watched? over the long weekend what the crime of the century that's the documentary about the sacklers who created oxycontin and got the whole country addicted to opiates oh okay you really have to watch it because i can't believe how awful our country is where they would allow this to happen like this this is like a normal thing that goes on they created the medicine they knew what it was capable of they paid doctors to promote it they put people on it they paid people to be on it they there was a woman who was on it like on all these medications and she got off them and the doctor ordered her back on the medications and she died and then i was watching it and i was like oh no this is going to happen again. And then I watched part two of the documentary, and it happened again like 10 more times since then. Jesus. I uh, I do remember hearing that. That was a few months ago. No, longer than that. Probably back March. Uh, I think that settlement is like four point something billion dollars right now. Yeah, but they generated like oh, I'm sure. 60, 70, 80 billion in revenue. That's like a parking ticket to them. Oh yeah. No, that's the, that, as they would say, that's the cost of doing business. Yeah. We just live in an awful country. That's the, that's the lesson that I learned from this documentary. I don't know if we live in an awful country. I think no, we, we do. Well, then why are people dying to get here? Why are people actively trying to come and immigrate to our country? <laughs> because they're nuts. I don't think that's, I don't think that's fact. <laughs> think that's <laughs> don't think they're crazy well, i think listen they're tommy from somewhere arguably worse tommy all right it may not be so good in other countries yes but that doesn't make our country good oh no i'm not saying it's good but i'm not saying it's uh by comparison it's it's um it's better than some of the alternatives well why should we settle oh i'm not saying we should but the, like you're absolutely here's my thing you're 100 right in the idea that this is all it's all a manufactured like it, it's it's people being paid off the right people are knowing the right things laws being passed and then you know uh things being covered up things being settled out of court things being uh taken care of in a very hush hush way um and ultimately what ends up happening is is that people get payouts for loved ones who have either suffered or unfortunately most likely lost their lives for it and the worst part is is someone has to sit there and say hey your loved one's death is worth $492,000 or whatever you know like that's a that's that's sickening that's the sickening part of this America is not a country. It's a business. Uh, what's it in the business of? Fucking people over. 
again, then I would say, why do people, why are people flocking here? Why, you know, immigration lists are like 10 years deep from some countries. Like you have to have a 10 year waiting list to get here, you know? Well, listen, we'll, we'll figure it out one day, but that day is not today. So I don't know. I've, I'm happy we have completed another soon to be classic episode of the Northeast Scene podcast. And folks, our dear listeners, we continue to encourage you to spread the word about our podcast. Recommend us to a friend if they dig music podcasts or are part of the scene and like this kind of stuff. Continue to write to us. Continue to subscribe to us. Continue to give us five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and write us a nice review if you dig the show because we'll read it on the air. What do you think of that? Vadim texted me yesterday and said if if uh, Keith says another bad thing about the Beatles, he's going to change his rating from a 5 to a 4.5. Listen, <laughs> I have to stick to my word, okay? <laughs> I have to stick to my word. It's all I have. I, I will say at this, I'm going to have a conversation with Vadim this week about uh, Spiritualized. I, I don't understand that band. I don't know where to start with them. And he is like, dude, top five band for me. And I'm like, explain it to me. You, you got we got to talk about this. So I'm going to have a conversation. Yeah, there, there's a, uh, th- I've always heard people talk about that band. I think I downloaded two of their records. I mean, oh wait, I think I purchased two of their <laughs> records like a decade ago and I never listened to them. And then I had uh, iTunes on, sh- I had iTunes on shuffle. So, you know, this is a while ago cause I'm still using iTunes. Yeah. And I was really high and drunk and all this stuff one morning and, one of their songs came on shuffle, and I was like, this is the best song I've ever heard. And there was something, the lyrics are something like, you know, I scrape my breakfast off a mirror in the morning, and I was like, I can really relate to this. And uh, But I never listened to it again, so I don't know if it's good or not. I, uh, I only know the one song because uh, it was in that movie Vanilla Sky, uh, and it's the, the really famous one, Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space that one yes uh that's the only one i know because they use it in the sequence at uh i don't remember his name but the the tom cruise's character's funeral and i always think it was definitely like one of those parts of the movie where you're like oh wow this music fits beautifully and it, it's like emotional and makes you feel like the, the kind of what's going on in the movie matches the music and i texted vadim because vadim was like i guess i said a line from vanilla sky unknowingly i get maybe i did it on purpose i'm not sure and he was like, uh, what about spiritualized? And I was like, we'll, we'll, okay, we'll talk. <laughs> I get, look, we'll have this conversation. We'll figure it out, dude. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that song that I was talking about again and see if I still like it. So I guess that's it for this week. Do you have any final inspiring words for our dear audience, Tommy? No. Uh, yeah. Be kind to everyone because you don't know what battles they fight. You don't know what they go home to or what they live at, like their lives outside of there. So be nice to everybody, or at least make an attempt at it. I like that. That's good. All right. Oh, and special shout out to Casey Iodine of Iodine Recordings for hooking up the interview with Matt. Yeah, You're the man, Casey. Well, that's it for this week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time. Yeah!